First down at the 33. Kyler Murray runs it. He's got to get out of bounds. Murray still moving. Wow! Look at the speed! Kyler Murray touchdown! OU 67 yards! Dowdy, Chase Kitty talking college football on the High Motor Podcast. Always talking college football on the High Motor Podcast. And it seems like every episode that we do of this, Chase, that the college football season looks different every time we get together every three or four days, or on at least on the verge of looking different. It might necessarily not be one announcement that has changed the dynamic of the college football season, but it seems like every time we talk here, we're on the verge or coming off of a big announcement in which the college football season looks dramatically different scheduling-wise, at least since Thursday's episode dropped, the Pac-12 unveiled their full schedule with dates. Uh, Since then, also, the SEC officially announced a conference-only plan, and the American, as of now, reportedly planning on doing eight league games and up to four non-conference games per team. That uh, that report coming from Pat Forty on Friday, if you missed that. Today on the show, we're not going to talk Pac-12 not going to talk SEC or American. This is going to be the first episode of a six-episode series on conferences before things hopefully kick off. Week 0, August 29th, now still four-game schedule for Week 0, but I'm sure that'll change because it feels like every time we talk, that number changes too. And we're going to start with the Big 12. And I remember you and I, this is something that you and I have talked about a lot over the last year, year and a half, but specifically before last season, we talked about how difficult it was to see a coaching change in the Big 12 after the 2019 season. So entering last season, predicting if the Big 12 carousel would spin after that year. And I get that you can never bank on coaches coming back or getting canned, but still it was really, really hard to see where that change might come in the Big 12 because it looked almost impossible like a coach would get fired or a coach would leave. Yes, we always had kind of the Matt Campbell factor. Uh, we did have one late with Matt Rule. That factor's also been there, too, with the threat of the NFL last two or three years now. But going into the season looked really, really hard to not only predict where that, that spot could be that opened up, but just to see any sort of spot opening. Again, we did have, have one with, with Baylor late with Matt Rule. And now entering this season, it really seems like we're in the exact same spot, doesn't it? And, and the virus... We've talked about this a little bit, and we'll get into more hot seat coaching stuff with each of these conference episodes. And the virus adds a whole different dimension to this. But still, virus or not, it's really, really hard to see where a coaching change might come in the Big 12, isn't it? It is. I agree with all the things you just said. I think most of the coaches are still really young in their tenure at their respective institutions. And I think something pretty dramatic would have to happen uh, for a change to happen, but I, I do think there is there there are some some things on the edges that could happen. I don't think it's likely, but uh, I think when we when we get to hot seat a little bit later, I, I have a theory I'm going to throw at you. That I think is really interesting that I've thought about uh, today before we jumped on here. Well, now I'm curious. Now I want to do edges right now because I think the the edge to me is Tom Herman, but that's if the virus wasn't happening. I don't think if Texas goes. Six and six this season, that Tom Herman would get fired. 
But if the virus were not happening and Tom Herman went 6-6, six and six, I think he would get fired. Now that you've teased me a little bit, you've given me a little bit of the teat, I want to know where your edges are right now. No, you're going to have to wait. Sorry. So we're going to have a few different areas uh, to address here. Hot seat. We're also going to talk about the worst good team. Let's actually start there. This is something that you brought up. The worst good team in the Big 12. And it seems like nationally this isn't not necessarily in this frame. It's, but it still feels like this is talked about a lot. Like in terms of the the playoff. Like who's the worst team on that fringe. But before we get into this, I want you to kind of set some fences for us here. What is your definition of good in this case then we can go to the worst good team uh, I think when you look at any conference especially when you're looking at the power five conferences there's a drop off uh, there's probably two drop offs really is when you drop the first one would be okay we're going from this team to the next team in the conference standings and the the delineation is everybody above this line is probably a real conference championship contender and everybody below is not I think the second delineation is farther down and you go from, okay, this is a good team. This is the last good, kind of good, decent team in the conference. And everybody below this line is not so great. And I think the interesting thing about the worst good team this year is that with a pared down out of conference schedule, it's going to be harder for teams to look good on paper. Like I think a lot of times we look at maybe a six and three team and we go, okay, well they're not going to win the national championship or anything, but they're six and three. Like they're a good team, but did they go? I don't know four and zero against a bad non-conference schedule, and then they're like two and three in conference games so far, and it's the end of October, beginning of November. Like that's that's kind of a that's an interesting thing that I think. Uh, we should all be looking at this year with a pared down non-conference schedule. And it's one of the things I thought it would be interesting to try to identify uh, before the season started, where is that last good team in every conference? And we're probably going to do this for every conference, but I'm glad we're starting with Big 12 because I think that's the most interesting one because of the depth that we've seen in the Big 12 over the last, I guess since it really went down to 10 teams. With having that smaller number of teams, it's really been Kansas at the bottom and yeah, West Virginia has dipped down and Texas Tech has dipped down and Baylor uh, had dipped down for the one year. But it's a really interesting conversation for the Big 12 because there hasn't really been that bad team consistently alongside Kansas. It's just been a couple of, you know, one or two elite teams, a tier below that, and then a bunch of really, really good teams. So if I'm understanding this correctly, you're not talking about the tier of Big 12 title contenders. You're talking about the tier below that where you're visiting, you know, Oklahoma is visiting what Kansas State has been for so long. They're visiting a TCU. They're visiting a West Virginia where you say, yeah, Oklahoma's probably going to win this game. But this team they're visiting is still a very good team. That's the, that's your definition of good here. Yeah, yeah, that's mine. If, if, you're, if you're an average Power 5 team, you're still a good team, right? You're, you're not a great team. You're not a very good team. You're not a title contender. But in the grand scheme of things, you're you're a good team. You're you're fine. You're you're living. So that's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. Where are you at? I think it's yeah. I'm 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 fine with that. I would have been fine with any definition. I went into this with an open mind, not really plucking out a team. But based upon that definition, I think it has to be TCU, right? Because the bottom of the Big Twelve, I think that we're in agreement that Texas Tech, Kansas, and West Virginia are the bottom three teams in the Big Twelve, right? Uh, yes. 
I, I think I think it has to be that. Those I think it has yeah. to be that too, and we can talk about gaps in between those teams or if, if you're higher on one team, but I think generally nationally there's consensus that those are the bottom three teams and we agree on that too i think the team just above that but i do think there's a gap i think it has to be tcu we can talk about baylor with the change um kansas state we're really both high on chris Kleiman, even losing scotty hazelton i still like what they have coming back on defense i think there's still a lot of reason to believe that kansas state could be a fringe top 25 team so i don't think that really fits your definition here so i think it has to be tcu with the inconsistencies on offense that we've seen, they do finally have experience coming back at quarterback. They've had a lot of injuries, had a lot of problems with that position last year, a lot of injuries elsewhere. I think that TCU fits that bill the most here because I'm pretty confident going into the season, this is different, but we'll just pretend that they're playing 12 games for the sake of this conversation. No matter what's going on, and even though TCU has dipped a lot over the last seven or eight years, they'll come up for that 12-win season and then dip down and win five, six, seven games, I'm still pretty confident going into every single season that TCU is going to win six or seven games and have a real shot at 10 games. This year, I think they're on the lower end of that because I like the top four to five teams in the Big 12 so much, and I don't see the wins to go around. So I think TCU is at seventh team in the Big 12, but they're still very capable of winning six, seven, eight games. So I agree. I agree. Here's what we agree, that TCU is the seventh best team in the Big 12. And so the fact that they could be the last good team, uh, I, I've, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I've been going back and forth between them and West Virginia because we, we agree TCU 7, West Virginia 8. I don't know if West Virginia is going to be good this year or not. I think when they figured out what they were doing at quarterback last year, they looked a lot more competent. With another year with Daigie at quarterback, another year of Neil Brown, there are things that I kind of like about them. There are things that I really don't like about them, which is what's going on with their defense. A story that's really flown under the radar nationally because of everything else that's going on is that they just let go of their defensive coordinator for some weird stuff that was going on on campus that may have been, at best, it was very bad miscommunication and at worst was kind of some more nefarious kind of stuff that we don't really need to get into on this podcast, but I don't know what to do with them. It could be them. It could be TCU, but I think it's one of the two, probably TCU. My biggest problem with West Virginia is they are, they're not like horrible in any one area. I I can't point to West Virginia's offense. Yeah. I mean, maybe you could argue the offensive line is the worst in the big 12 and there are some serious issues there, but I can't point to any one area where West Virginia is, is downright terrible. But I also can't point to any one area where West Virginia is actually really good. I mean, I, I don't know what the strength of that team is to where I'm comfortable hanging my hat and saying, because of this, I think West Virginia is going to be a good team. In a normal 12-game season, if that's what we were going into here, I'd have a really hard time saying that West Virginia is more than a 4-8 or a 5-7 and seven team. I would not be banking on West Virginia to go 6-6, six and 7-5, six, and five, and that seems kind of like the lower end of what we're talking about here. Yeah, I think that's all totally fair. I, I, I think there's such a high level of variance, especially with the recent events in Morgantown. There's such a high level of variance on what they could be. Like They, they could grow into something really nice. I think I like a lot of their pieces, especially on offense. They could also look a lot like they did last year, which was... Uh, lacking a true identity, uh, sort of not really cohesive, uh, just kind of all over the place with high highs and low lows. So 
I, I don't think you, I don't think you said anything wrong. And that's why I've kind of waffled back and forth with them is if you, if you like certain things about them, you might think they could turn out okay. You might think they, they could be that last good team. If you sort of like the status quo a little bit more, which I think is probably the safer feeling about them, then I think TCU is a clear answer. Yeah, and I think we'll learn a lot more, and you can speak to this more than I can. We'll learn a lot more from West Virginia, how much of last year was just a transition. It seemed like from the insiders that Neil Brown was able to get a lot of buy-in from that roster, that there might have been some issues at the very end of Dana Holgerson's run there, but Neil Brown was able to get a lot of buy-in from that roster. And how much of that going into year two were we looking at? Those were transitional problems last year. How much of the 50-50 things, and I know you mentioned Daggy and you know got Austin Kendall coming back, and there seems to be a lot of things where it's if. If this can go right, the pieces seem to be there. But there are too many of those ifs uh, for me to to really put them above TCU, and I think there's actually a pretty big gap between them and TCU on the field. The next thing I, I want to get to is, is Dark Horse, and we'll kind of define Dark Horse too. When I'm taking a dark horse I'm thinking the dark horse to be in big 12 title contention someone that's getting very little national not a ton of regional love kind of you know obviously hiding behind Oklahoma but also hiding behind Oklahoma State my dark horse isn't a team where I'm saying hey look out they could get to bowl eligibility my dark horse is the team that they're not getting a whole lot of love to be in the big 12 title game but this team could hop up there are we on the same page with that yes I don't know if mine is dark enough, so I'm going to make sure that I frame this correctly. I don't think that Iowa State is being talked about like they should be talked about. I mean, Iowa State is a strong year from, I mean, talk about more offensive line. We got so many offensive line questions across the Big 12. Another offensive line question here at Iowa State is, I think that they're a strong year away from an offensive line that's rebuilding to be as good as they were in pass protection last year and see a bump in the run game. I think that's kind of what they are away from being right there with Oklahoma State as a potential top 10 team. And looking around some of these national rankings where I expect them to be in the AP top 25 and the coaches top 25, I don't think they'll be anywhere near the top 10. You might have somebody here and there vote them into the high end of the teens, but I think that we're going to see Iowa State in the low end of the teens Um, Somewhere between like 17, 18, 19, and 24 and 25. But I think that they're right there, maybe an offensive line away from being with Oklahoma State. They have no holes on defense. Like there are no issues with the Iowa State defense. It might be, it probably should be the best defense in the conference this year. I'd like to see some more pressure from the front four. Uh, I'd like to see some more turnovers. But it seems like the personnel is there to do it, and that speaks to the remarkable job that Matt Campbell and his staff consistency has done getting players that weren't highly highly rated and transforming a defense that was pure shit for a long time into potentially the best defense in the Big 12. And I maybe the biggest thing here is that I think Matt Campbell is as well equipped to handle this sort of offseason as anybody in the conference. Like, we can talk about all about Lincoln Riley, but I... Behind Lincoln Riley, or even alongside Lincoln Riley, I have a hard time saying that there's another coach in this conference to handle the abbreviated offseason as well as Matt Campbell is doing. Uh, Seven of the ten teams in the Big 12 changed at least one or both their coordinators. Iowa State not among them. Talk about the staff consistency there. I just don't think that we realized, and me being included in we, I don't think we realized how good Iowa State was last year. Like They weren't elite in any one area there wasn't a spot where you could put point to iowa state and this was the top five or a top 10 team nationally in one area 
but they weren't awful in more than an area or two. I talked about the pressure, and I'd love to see more from the defensive line. I'd love to see more turnovers. I don't think they need those things to be the best best defense in the Big 12. I mean, you look back at last year, I was digging more into this this morning. Their five regular season losses came by 21 total points. And we could talk about comebacks versus Baylor and Oklahoma not being in those games for the first three quarters, but still, when you're losing five games, five total regular season games by 21 total points, I couldn't give two shits last about the bowl game versus Notre Dame. So seeing Iowa State in the Big 12 championship game, I don't think that they're a dark horse in that regard. At least they shouldn't be nationally. But I think that Iowa State, more importantly, is more than just a, well, who's playing Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship team? Who's that other team? I think that Iowa State is right there with Oklahoma State this year, especially if they get that offensive line. Am I being too kind with my dark horse? Yes. Uh, you, you tell me privately sometimes that you wish we disagreed more on this podcast. I'm going to disagree with you pretty fervently here. Uh, I, I agree with a lot of the things you're saying about Iowa State. The, the Matt Campbell uh, prose is accurate and deserved. Uh, Iowa State has won. They won seven games last year. They won eight games the year before that. So they're good by Iowa State standards. And it's it's fun that they're good. And I think they're going to continue to be good. I think to suggest that they are on track to sneakily compete for a conference championship is probably putting them a level above where they really live, which I think is clearly in that second level of the Big 12. They might be in the top half of that second level, but I think they're clearly in that second level. So Uh, you think that I... So can you see Iowa State in the Big 12 championship game this year? Could I? Uh, I can, and I I can explain why now or later. It's up to you. So you don't see... So I asked you if I was being too kind there. Do you think that... Or was I too aggressive there? You just don't think that Iowa State is a dark horse at all. Like You think that they're getting enough national love where they don't qualify? I think that it's really hard to identify a dark horse for the Big 12 this year uh, because of just how how everything is shaken out in the offseason and... Sure. Uh, and, and what people have lost and what they're bringing back. I, I, I think it's so obvious who's going to be really good, who's going to be decent, and who's not going to be good next year. Um, so I, I think the dark horse thing in general is really hard for this conference, but I would still probably not pick Iowa State. I think they're going to be kind of what they've been the last two years, uh, which is they're good, they're decent, they're going to win some games, they're going to maybe even upset a team that's that's really good once or twice in the season, but they're ultimately going to finish, you know, fourth or fifth. So they're like, they're going to lose at Iowa. Like they're going to lose at Texas. They're going to drop the game to like Kansas state at home. You think that they're just going to kind of live last year's close games. Don't really do anything for you to say. You're more saying that that's what Iowa state is. They're going to have those close losses and they're a ways away from winning four out of those five games. That's yeah, just where and I don't, I don't at all think that's disrespectful to Matt Campbell because when in the recent past has Iowa State been this good, right? You, you're, right? you're oftentimes, even as a good head coach, limited by where you are. And Iowa State is not a program that has the best resources in the conference or in the Midwest. or So that like the fact that they are could be eight and four, nine and three this year and finish third in the Big 12. Like, that's a compliment to Matt Campbell. That's, that's not an insult. So who's your dark horse then? I think there's really only one team 
maybe even no teams that fit the billing for Dark Horse in this conference. But I think the one that works is Kansas State. The first thing I looked at, what before I even get into what I looked at, we, we have acknowledged, and I will acknowledge again here for our listeners that maybe, you know, missed it the first time around, that we are like one, we're one step away from being like the Chris Kleiman PR machine. So, I mean, I may, maybe take it with a grain of salt what I'm saying, but I looked at their schedule. It's not great, but it's not bad either. I just, I feel like in the Big 12, you can have success with a contrarian approach, which is a credit to Iowa State too. Like, I, I think they do things a little differently than the Big 12 model. And I think you, you were talking about how Iowa State, the way they do things, like they're, they're going to be well positioned to succeed in a weird offseason like this. Well, like I think I feel the same way about climbing. I think the way they do things, how good they were last year, cracking the top 25 with a roster that had no business being a top 25 roster. Like now that they're a year into his tenure, I just feel like it's going to get better and better. And, and I don't know. I, I believe in that staff and that program and what they're doing. I still, I only halfway kind of believe this because I, I feel so strongly about the top of the Big 12. And I, like I said, I'm, I'm not sure there's a true dark horse, but if I'm going to put a square peg in a round hole, I'm going to say it's Kansas State. Doesn't it feel like Chris Kleiman is entering like year five? Like even even last year, it didn't feel like a year. I mean, we can go back to Neil Brown. That felt like a year one. Absolutely, that felt like a year one. We saw a lot of transitional issues from West Virginia that were expected and that happened at 99% of transitioning programs. It didn't feel like a year one for Chris Kleiman, or at least it felt like he was a longtime coordinator and we knew he was replacing Bill Snyder for the last like 20 years and that was his first year. It did not feel felt like, like a year a, three. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah, like a year three or a year four or, or somebody that we knew was going to be there. It didn't feel like a guy that, and yeah, it's North Dakota State, and everybody knows about the dynasty, and it's not really your typical FCS program, but still, it didn't feel like a guy that, God, we're talking about Chris Kleiman so much again. <laughs> Every goddamn episode, Chris Kleiman comes up. Let's just move on from this. I think that you're right in the definition of a dark horse, because I would never take any sort of bet that Kansas State is going to be in the Big 12 championship game, but if you told me that they were in the Big 12 championship game when it came, I would not be shocked, but I think that most people would. Whereas Iowa State, I don't think would shock that many people. I think especially with with how the the Gundy Chuba Hubbard situation went down, I think a lot of people have dropped Oklahoma State down. Fair or not, I have no idea how that's going to shake out in the locker room, shake it on the field. Texas is always polarizing, and then I don't know where Iowa State kind of falls nationally, and that's where you get down to Kansas State. So I think that you're right. I think that the dark horse truly is Kansas State. I'm just that much higher uh, on Iowa State. Any more dark horse uh, talk here? Or do you want to get down to some irrelevancy? Uh, yeah, let's talk irrelevancy, uh, irrelevancy briefly before we kind of get into the meat of the conference on the top of it and everything. And we, we've we kind of talked about Big 12 and national irrelevancy several times, being that Kansas has been relevant nationally for really their entire run of shit over the last 10, 11 years because it's been so bad, but... In terms of like pure competitive irrelevancy, yes, Kansas has been competitively irrelevant. I still think in the Big 12 that they're they're the most irrelevant team. There's an argument, and we also talked about this, Texas Tech versus Kansas. There's an argument that Texas Tech has been and still is more irrelevant nationally than Kansas, not wins and losses wise. We obviously understand that. 
But in the national conversation, Texas Tech is still more relevant wins and losses wise and in the Big 12 conversation than Kansas. Or do you think Kansas has been so? I guess which part of the irrelevancy are you taking on this side? I feel pretty strongly that it's Texas Tech, not Kansas. Texas Tech is the most irrelevant program. But we agree that it's not because of wins and losses. Totally. Kansas is has been the worst team in the Big 12. They will probably continue to be the worst team in the Big 12. If you look at what they're bringing back this year, it is brutal. Like they I mean they are just completely cupboard is empty, right? So, they're going to be bad again this year. Uh, but there's part of it is exactly what you said. They're so bad that it's newsworthy. So that lends them relevancy, albeit for the wrong reasons. And I think part of the thing with Texas Tech is since they lost, you know, the two best things that had happened to them probably in the last decade, it feels like just all of the oxygen has left Lubbock and they're just kind of there. I mean, when was the last time you got excited about a Texas Tech game or like knew who they were playing? It's been a little while now. So I feel I, like it's I Texas think Tech. that the, the Texas Tech thing. I think people tire of it too because we we know what they're going to be and I get we'll see kind of how Matt Wells transitions this program. The defense finally came around a little bit, but for so long we've known what we're going to get out of a Texas Tech game. Like we know that they're going to score points. We've known that for so long, but we also know at the end of the day this is going to be a 4-5 or a 6-win team. And that also applies to Kansas. We know that they're not going to win more than 3 games this season for the that would be the 11th straight year. The last time they won more than three games in the season was 2009 when they went 5-7. and seven. That started it all. We know that Kansas isn't going to win four games this year if they play 12 games. They're definitely not going to do it if they don't play 12 games. But it feels like within that, we get, even when they were shitty, they would pop up for these games that would grasp the national attention. And everybody was, I'm different because I'm an alum. I watch every game and I'm invested in every game. But it seems like odd. Like they're playing Boston College last year. The amount of national interest in that game for Kansas going to Chestnut Hill and just laying a ass kicking on Boston College, the emotional investment it seemed like from national people was so far above and beyond. If Texas Tech was playing that game, nobody would have given a shit. Nope. If Texas Tech went to Chestnut Hill and won, I don't even remember what the score was, 45 to 20 it was, or something. It was like not that. close because I bet on Boston College. <laughs> right. And you pushed them hard. And I think they're like a 22 point favorite. Yeah. So if Texas Tech goes and plays that game, like, nobody gives a shit. Going into the game, nobody cares. Nobody's watching that game. Nobody's talking about it after that game. But entering, I think it was entering the second quarter when clearly something was going on, I think I looked in that, that game got pretty decent ratings for a Friday night game in Boston College. So people care that that game was played. Nobody gives a shit if Texas Tech. Let me ask you, how far does that go down for you? Like, if West Virginia, are they more relevant right now in the Big 12 in Kansas is? Oh, I think so. I mean, West Virginia is only a year removed from you know being legitimately good with Will Greer. And yeah. I mean, I think way more often than not, they're a good team. They're they're north of 500. So like they're, they're they are college football relevant, I think. Uh, I, I think it's just that at the very end of the conference is where it kind of gets a little weird with Tech and Kansas. And I think this will be more fun, or at least a deeper conversation for other conferences with more teams, 12, 14 teams. It's a different conversation because there are more Texas Techs in other conferences. You're not going to find Kansas everywhere, but there are more Texas Tech-type type teams 
in other conferences. And the Big 12, again, going back to their depth, how deep it's been for so long, and how many of these different teams. You made a really good point a couple of months ago how it's always been Oklahoma, but for now, that are better part of a decade, every year it feels like one team pops up and challenges. It, you know, It's Baylor one year, it's Oklahoma State the next year, it's Texas the next year, maybe it's Iowa State this year. And almost every single team in the Big 12, with the exception of Kansas and Texas Tech, have done that for the last decade. They have popped up and, and truly challenged for a spot in the Big 12 title game or before there was one during that gap. Whereas in other conferences, you don't have that many teams, so there's a bigger pool to pick from from a relevancy, whereas in the Big 12, you just don't have that. And because of how bad Kansas has been for so long, it's the worst stretch of Power 5 football since Duke went through that shitty, shitty stretch in the, in the 90s and 2000s that their stretch has become relevant nationally, which kind of just forces Texas Tech to be the answer probably uh, for that conversation. Let's move to hot seat because I've been thinking about this all show. I'm really curious what the edge is of the conversation for you because I have a really hard time seeing any coach. I think the hot seat and the coaching carousel is going to be really, really cool this year across college football. Usually we see 20-plus jobs opening. I don't even think it's going to be half of that this year. I think a lot of coaches are going to have real legitimate excuses why they only go you know four and five that's how many games they play why they don't make a bowl game things like that so i think it's gonna be really cool across college football i don't see any coach in the big 12 really under any circumstance getting fired this year and we can talk about what happens if texas goes two and ten what happens if there's off the field problems all of that stuff i don't think that's going to happen and i have a hard time seeing a reasonable scenario in which a coach actually gets fired from the Big 12. All right. Great, great tee up from you. So Thank you. Thank I to I think to really explain where I'm coming from here, we have to talk about the the top level of the Big 12 this year, right? Oklahoma has dominated the Big 12 the last 5 years. Uh Baylor's been had a couple years where they were really good, Oklahoma State, Texas, whatever. Uh I think Oklahoma's probably going to take a step back this year. Uh, I think when you look at how they have managed to uh, attract really high-level transfer talent uh, and, and then recruited really well on top of that, they have had a like one-year machine for three or four straight years now. And I think they're not going to quite have that this year like they've had it in previous years. So that's going to open up some space at the top. By every reasonable football metric I can find, Oklahoma State should be the favorite in the Big 12 this year. The more I do research, the more I look into it, and look at the roster, and look at the schedule, and look at everything, Oklahoma State should be the favorite. Well, they should, okay, they should be in your opinion. They shouldn't be in my opinion, but are they in your opinion? You're saying that all these metrics and whatever say they should be, but do you think they are? In my opinion, they are. I'm, I'm okay with my opinion wow. being different than I think the, the national consensus. Yeah, you get off on being a contrarian. I get it. That, I guess that's maybe part of it. But I really do think in this case, a lot of the, the signs point toward Oklahoma State. Going into this question, I thought Tom Herman, like you alluded to earlier, was the obvious answer. Is that we have a lot of young coaches. Tom Herman's going into, I think, year four, right? This is year four? This is year four. So... I went back and look at, looked at what Charlie Strong's record was. He was 16 and 21. Uh, Tom Herman, even though it's been a disappointment, nowhere really near 16 and 21. So 
even if they went like four and eight, and we had that great debate of several weeks back about like, what if they were, <laughs> what if they were six and six? What if they were five and seven? What if they were four and eight? They right, will start two and six. No, I think the debate was there's a better chance they start two and six than eight. No, than eight, no, I, right? So I, let's, I got you to come around to three and five, but you stopped short of saying two and six. Let's let's say they are like four and eight on the year. Let's say it's it's like close to the worst case scenario, right? I still don't think he gets fired. Because of the virus or because of non-virus stuff? Because of both. I mean, he's going to have... Okay, well, so in a, in a normal year, if they go 4-8 and eight this year and the virus isn't happening, is he fired if they go 4-8? and eight? I think absolutely. I don't think, so. I don't think so because of what he's done in the previous three years. Like, Charlie Strong was under five hundred all three years. Tom Herman's never had a losing record. So if he had a losing record this year... I think he probably has a very serious chat with the AD. I think one of his coordinators gets sacrificed to the football gods, and I think they say, hey, uh, we need to see something next year or you're gone. I think that happens, but I don't think they fire him this year. So if Tom, if I feel, let me stop there. Uh, how do you feel about that assessment? I think if they go 4-8 and eight in a normal year, he is gone. I think that we saw with the coaching changes last year. I mean, he he got rid of and made he has changes on both sides of the ball, coordinators and other staff. I don't I can't remember the exact number of new assistants that he has, but he made the changes. That to me signals that you need this Chris Del Conte, the AD telling him, you need to make some changes. I don't know if, if Del Conte said that specifically. But it's easy but to infer that. Very easy to infer yeah. that. And maybe he didn't even have and to say that. That's that's fair. Sure. So I think that was kind of his his doing of saying, you know, this is my last excuse. And I, I get all what you're saying with Charlie Strong and Tom Herman and all that. I think that Tom Herman is kind of a victim of his own early success, just like Jim Harbaugh was Agreed. at Michigan. I don't think like Tom Herman's done a I don't think Tom Herman's done a bad job at Texas. Jim Harbaugh hasn't done a bad job at Michigan. Right. They both just happen to be in the case of um, in the case of Michigan, the same division, but in the same conference as one of the most dominant teams in college football. We put Oklahoma, we put Ohio State in that top neighborhood of annual college football playoff teams. So I think that there is some very bad things working against them. I like how they're both recruiting generally, but I think there's a lot of comparisons there. But I, I still think at four and eight. I mean, there were there were musings being had, like internal rumors that that there were some issues the last two years. So if they come out and go four and eight in a non-virus year, let's say six and six non-virus year, you think he's gone? No, no, I don't think he's gone with that. Okay, I don't think he's gone with that. I think the optics of a four and eight season are harder for Chris Del Conte to defend, and I get that fans don't want to talk about fans being part of that equation, but fan interest and fan anger that drives some of these decisions and i think that that would four and eight would probably be enough so let me I don't even know what you asked me originally I, I was just i wanted to stop in the middle of sort of my thought press and just get your your feedback so on you the don't tom even herman's you don't think that tom herman's going anywhere unless they're two and ten or we got some i think it would have to be really bad this year for texas to dump tom herman this year uh, so why are we talking about tom herman then because he if if the answer is not tom herman to the hot seat question it has to be somebody else and I decided when doing prep for this, it wasn't Tom Herman. So who, if it's not him, would it be? And I started thinking, and I played out a lot of scenarios in my head, and this is where I got to. If the Big 12 is more wide open this year than it's been in the last five years, if Oklahoma 
is going to be good, but maybe not dominant. And Oklahoma State's the favorite, and they blow it. If they can't win it this year, when the path no, is as clear no, as it's been in no, years, no, 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 and you factor in the stuff no, with Gundy no. that already happened, I think the answer is Gundy. If they wanted Gundy gone, he would have been gone after that stuff. This would be the it would be kind of cruel to do that to the student athletes going into the season. But Agreed. if they really had a problem with what he said. Which I'm sure they, they probably did have a problem, not with what he said, but what how he was acting, wearing that shirt and all that stuff. But I think if they really wanted to get rid of him, he would have been gone. I don't doubt that Oklahoma State wouldn't mind moving on from him. And that I, th- I think is is more what I'm talking about. Not so if you say Oklahoma State goes like ten and two, they just don't win the Big Twelve. Or are we talking about if Oklahoma State goes seven and five? That's uh, a different. I, I think I think maybe like eight and four, nine and three. And they no, look around and go, fair. how did we not do it this year when it was right there? They have a great schedule. They have, a, in terms of all of, of FBS college football, they're top 10 in terms of returning talent, returning starters, returning production. The, the schedule is immaculate. Their chief rival has to come to Stillwater, and they're not going to be very good. The only other top-level contender that I can see is Texas, and we all know how they've shit the bed in numerous times the last few years. So I think... The path is open for them, and if they are merely good this year, if they are 8-4 and four and have a, woo, good for us, we were pretty good this year kind of season, I think people might start to try to connect things, even though that's probably not fair. I think you could start to hear people go, well, the stuff that happened last year, and now we're shit in the bed and we're 8-4 and four when we should be winning the Big 12, and I think it can build a critical mass, blah, 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 blah. And that's how he gets fired. On the other hand, if he, you know, t- to be fair to how like narratives are constructed and everything, if they are really good this year and they do go 11 and one and win the big, let's, let's say it's the week of the big 12 championship and they are, they've won the regular season and they are the, you know, the quote unquote higher seed in the big 12 championship game. Can't you already see the article that's going to get written? about how like they had a controversy and they came out of it stronger for it and they're they all understand each other better blah 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 and that's how they're a good team that's how this stuff works you everybody plays the result so i can kind of see both outcomes and i wonder if it's the lesser outcome i wonder if that builds a scenario where it's time to move on from gundy for three or four different reasons and you can pick which one was the most important Good points. Honestly, very, very good points on that. I think that it's a conversation for a non-virus year. If this is a non-virus year and they go 8-4, and four, yeah, I can absolutely see that. T-shirt or no T-shirt, Gundy saying all the OANN stuff and, and just kind of being a general asshole, I think that he could be gone if they came out and went 8-4, and four, even if they go 9-3 and three in a year in which they should be making the Big 12 championship game. Even how highly I think of Iowa State. I think Oklahoma State's a better team. I think they should be in the Big 12 championship game. I think they should compete against Oklahoma in that game. I don't know if they would win it. In a normal year, yes, 8-4, and 9-3, and three, I could totally buy that. I don't think that would get it done this year. Could I see Gundy going 9-3 and three this year and then leaving for another job after everything that's happened? I think that is more likely than him going 9-3 and three and getting fired. I don't think anybody in the Big 12 is getting fired. I can't even see any sort of scenario, none, 
I don't I don't know how many jobs are going to open up across college football after this year. Five, eight, ten, maybe in that range. I would be stunned if one of those jobs was in the Big 12. And I don't even see somebody like Matt Campbell leaving because I don't think there's going to be that many higher-tier opportunities there like, available. Even if USC moves on, which I don't know if they're going to with all this virus stuff, there are going to be fewer jobs for someone like Matt Campbell to leave for. We've talked about like if West Virginia were to pop up and have a great 8-4 and four season, would somebody down south call Neil Brown and maybe he could leave? I don't think that any of that is going to happen, so I don't even think that anybody's going to get fired. I don't think anybody's going to leave, and I'm pretty darn confident in saying that, even probably more so than last year, because last year it, it seemed like the threat of Matt Campbell could leave was greater because we didn't have this virus hanging over the coaching carousel. It also seemed like the Matt Rule threat of leaving for the NFL was greater because he had flirted for the last two seasons. This year, I can even more confidently say that I don't think there's going to be a uh, coaching change in the Big 12. I would be stunned if there is. I think in general, I, I agree with you I for, for all the reasons, as you've said, too. But if I'm grading things that I think are most likely to happen, Herman is out after this year or Gundy, I don't know. I, I'm, I think Herman is such a layup that I started really thinking about it, and I'm not so sure anymore. So... I, like, I, I agree with you. It's unlikely that anybody's gone. I think just because of the situations for each individual team and then the virus laid on top of that, it just feels really unlikely. Uh, but if somebody were to leave, I can see the path to how it happened with Gundy. And I think maybe it's the most likely thing that could happen, even though I think everything is pretty unlikely. Overall. Honestly, I'm coming around a little bit. When you first yeah. started talking, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm coming around a little bit on it because I think that my mind was so closed off and saying there's not going to be a coaching change that I couldn't see the possibilities as much. But yeah, I, I could see the argument that there's a better chance that Gundy won't be head coach in 2021 versus Tom Herman. I could absolutely see that argument. All right, before we go here, the last thing we want to touch on pretty briefly we're going to do with each conference, where is this conference going? What is the landscape of the Big 12 three or five years from now? We're going to talk very generally here. We're not going to predict the standings three years from now, who's even going to be a head coach three years from now. But if we're still doing this podcast going into the 20, what, 2023 season, are we still saying it's Oklahoma at the top? And I get what you all just said about Oklahoma State, but generally the standing of Oklahoma is that they're still at the top of this conference. Lincoln Riley still has a machine with them. And then you have three or four teams that are going to be really good and contend for the Big 12 championship game. And then you have a really, really bad team and then a bunch of mediocre to good teams in the middle. Are we going to be seeing the same type of power structure in the Big 12 three years down the road, a very similar structure that we've seen for the last decade? Or do you see something changing in the Big 12 where we're a Texas or maybe it is an Oklahoma State where they finally get rolling and there truly are two legitimate playoff contenders at the top of the Big 12, like most conferences have, minus the Pac-12, like the other three Power power 5 conferences have. Where do you see this conference being power structure-wise generally three to five years from now? Uh, first of all, I think, I think Lincoln Riley is way too talented and way too liked by way too many other programs, not just in college football, but in the NFL, I think he's way too valued to be at Oklahoma forever. So I don't know how long he's going to be there, but if it's four years from now, he's gone. I wouldn't be terribly surprised. Uh, I could see that happening. NFL or another college job? Honestly, I think NFL. I I really do think 
he's yeah. probably going to the NFL. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you want to talk about a scenario in which, you know, I mean, Dabo bitches all the time and threatens to leave all the time. Like, if he were to leave, can can they just offer Lincoln Riley a ton of money? No, I don't I don't think that's going to happen, but I wouldn't be shocked. But yeah, I think the more likely scenario is that one of these teams finally makes the type of offer and Lincoln has enough years at Oklahoma to say this is as far as I think I can take this program. Maybe he wins a national championship in the next three years and does leave there. I didn't even let you finish. Where do you think this is going to sit three years from now? Uh, so I, I think I think I could see a more balanced uh, situation at the top. I also, this this feels really bold, but it's it's what I'm seeing, so I'm just going with what I'm seeing. I think that the Big 12 is becoming less radical. I you know, for so long the the identity of the conference has been crazy offenses that stretch the boundaries of the game, but look at the 10 conferences that are in look at the 10 teams in the conference right now. More of them than not are built or trying to build themselves along more conventional football uh lines. I don't think Kansas under less miles is trying to be some crazy air raid team. I don't think West Virginia is trying to do that. I don't think Iowa State's trying to do that. I don't think Kansas State's trying to do that. I don't think Baylor's trying to do that. Uh, to some degree, Texas has always had a defensive blueprint over the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, in some ways, that's not true at all. Uh, but in some ways, it is in terms of the athletes they recruit and the schemes that they play. Um which is kind of funny because sometimes they are just defensively horrible, but I think that's more of a execution problem than a scheme problem. Uh, so in a way, it is shifting more toward, uh, the, I don't know, big, some, it's shifting closer to the Big Ten or the, the SEC. It's obviously not the Big Ten or the SEC, but it's, it's shifting in that direction. Uh, and, and I think that more so than anything else is where I see the conference going in the next three to five years. That's the big shift. Nationally, I think it's going to take multiple, multiple years for that identity to sink in because it's so well ingrained that that's how people talk about the Big 12 on a national level. But I think regionally, people are already starting to notice this isn't just a one or two team trend anymore. There are a lot more teams that are built opposite of Texas Tech than they are like Texas Tech at this point. And, and that, to me, is interesting. And I wonder how long it takes before other people that aren't closely following the Big 12 notice that. Yeah, I mean, now that I think about it, it's not something that I've thought about in that sort of realm looking at all tw- uh, all 10 teams. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of more pro style, a lot more RPO like with Brent uh, with what Brent Deamer is doing at Kansas where we still might see some of the offensive numbers that we've seen over the last 10 years or even beyond that 20 years in the Big 12. But it's not going to be through the means that we've seen. And really quickly before we wrap it up here, I'm I'm really hoping, obviously as a fan, that Kansas can can pop up and just be consistently like a four to six win team. I think that'd be fun for me personally and for for that program. But if that were to happen, it's another team isn't going to just like replace them at the bottom. What Kansas did in the Big Twelve over the last ten years, that's not just going to happen to Texas Tech or West Virginia. So it, it would be a lot of fun if over the last ten years we've talked about the depth of the Big Twelve, but then always kind of been like, well, it's only like nine teams really because then Kansas is all the way down there. If we can have ten teams in the Big Twelve that have the depth and consistency of a four to a six win team at their very floor, it's kind of like you just take another power five conference and just lob off Vanderbilt and just lob off Arkansas and then whatever two teams are kind of down there. Or you take the big t- a big ten, you just lob off Rutgers and lob off Illinois and Maryland and these crap teams 
and all of a sudden you have 10 consistent teams, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Sure, Kansas could be shit for another 10 years, but I think it's more likely they're in that 3-6 to six win range for the next decade. And, and looking three years from now, I don't know if they can get there quite yet in three years. But I think that they'll be well on their way to where we have a Big 12 that is just completely filled with depth. And like you said, there still is going to be some air raid. There's still going to be points put up. But it's going to be a 10-team conference, hopefully in three years, where every team is between you know 4 and 12 wins, and they're doing it different ways. They're doing it through the air raid. They're doing it through pro style. They're doing it through RPO. And it still could be a really, really fun conference three years from now, uh, even though it could look a heck of a lot different. All right, this is going to be the first episode. This was the first episode of a six-episode series. We're going to look at each Power 5 conference and then do one G5 episode, basically which G5 teams you should give a shit about, previewing them, doing some some sort of predictions uh, for the season. And we'll be back on Thursday with another conference. We haven't said what conference yet. We haven't even talked about what conference we're going to do. So if you want a specific conference sooner rather than later, tweet at us at High Motor Pod. We can probably accommodate that request. Andrew Dowdy, Chase Kitty on the High Motor Podcast. We will be back on Thursday. I saw a friend today, it had been a while And we forgot each other's names But it didn't matter cause deep inside The feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in between.